All right, we're about to get started here. We are in Mark 13. Mark 13. Wow, that worked far better than it normally does. I'm not sure what technique I just applied, but I need to learn that one. <clears throat> Mark 13. We had to stop really right in the middle of something important. Jesus is talking about the fall of Jerusalem. Remember, as we said during the sermon, and I felt like I was kind of awkward in the way I tried to do that during a sermon. Jesus would say the same thing more than once in more different, in many locations. Some would record him here, some would record him there. Seems like they're not recording the same words. In Mark, he is talking about the end of Jerusalem. In Matthew, they ask him an extra question. When are the sign of these things, the fall of Jerusalem, and when's the sign to the end of the time? So he answers two questions in Matthew uh, 24. We always have to notice that we're in different areas and different things are being recorded. Here, I'm, I'm just going to do this really quick. Back in verse 10 of Mark 13, he says, The gospel first must be preached to all nations. Most of the people back in the 18, 1700s that wrote, especially 18 and 1900s that were part of our fellowship, thought that meant that we needed to go into all the world first before Jesus comes back. That may be what it means. Um, Alexander Campbell was convinced that our actions would determine when Jesus comes back. If we do our job, he comes back sooner. <clears throat> Maybe true. And that verse, the gospel first must be preached to all nations, does, does seem to mean that. But that's a hill I won't die on because I'm not sure I understand it completely. Then, the abomination that causes desolation. That's in verse 14. But I want to back up a little bit. Verses 12 and 13. When the end of the Jewish system comes, it's going to um, divide families. It's going to break up families. Most cities, and I'm trying to do this carefully, most cities and nations do not fall because, solely because their enemy is so great. They also fall because they are not united. They're divided. They've got some people there that are simpatico with the enemy. And the Jews understood this a lot because they had been fighting this for 400 years. Literally, 400 years, there were groups of Jews that wanted to act like, sound like, and be Greeks. And these were called Hellenists because that's what they call that. Hellenists. They wanted to be more like the Greeks. They wanted to be more like these people. When you can divide a culture, it's easier to take a culture. And he's saying the devil's going to divide you. The family is going to turn on us, uh, on, on each other. Then when you see the abomination, it causes desolation. Standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those that are in Judea flee to the mountains. And if you're on top of the house, don't even go in it. Just run. If you're in a field, don't go home. Just run. There are so many theories. The only one to me that makes sense is the eagle standard of the Romans. And there is a lot of scholarship behind it. When Titus came, he brought his standards of the eagles. And in Matthew, it talks about where the dead are, the eagles will be gathered. And it's just, uh, and sadly, some translations 
Now translate that to vultures. It's not a vulture, it's an eagle. But whenever the Titus, the General Titus brings that up against Jerusalem, it's over. There's no longer standing outside. They were used to the Roman army at that point, standing outside, threatening attack. But when Titus comes, he's going in. Could be. It also could be the abomination of desolation. Uh, that phrase was used when Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, a really, really evil guy. Think of evil, times that by 100. Guy slaughtered pigs on the altar in the temple. That was called abomination of desolation. So it could have been when you hear that that's occurred again. They knew, we don't really know. He says, run. Then he warns them again, false messiahs will show up everywhere. And we stopped in verse 24. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. This is a, a Jewish way of speaking. It's a Semitic way. Uh, Arabs speak the same way. Um, it is not referring to a physical sun. I think most of us know enough about history to know that the eclipse tomorrow, very exciting, um, ophthalmologists are excited about the, uh, they're, they're going to be able to pay off their boat by the time this is over. In earlier times, uh, eclipses were moments of panic. They were moments of great fear. My favorite eclipse story was actually told by Mark Twain, if you ever read A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Um, he goes back in time during an accident and they're going to kill him for some reason, but then he says, if you do that, I'll blot out the sun, because he knew the date, and he knew there was going to be an eclipse. It's a great story. If you've never read that, Twain was amazing. Um, that said, a lot of people see this, and they'll go, remember when the sun is blotted out? The sun's not being blotted out. It's being blocked for a few minutes, if you're in the right place. When the Jews say things like this, it means all the people you counted on fell. Your political system fell. Your religious leaders, your political leaders have fallen. That's the sun and the moon. And if you were to, to listen to um, reports of political struggles and overthrows in Israel, Jordan, and the like, and they were translated literally word for word to you, you would still hear when one guy is out that the sun has fallen. In Syria, this would be a good example. In Syria today, nobody's in charge and everybody's in charge, and it's, it's hell on earth. <clears throat> it is awful. There's no guidance. Do you remember uh, God said he set these in the sky for, for, for our able to mark things as guidance. It's all gone. I fear that sometimes we put too much trust in our political leaders of whatever stripe and when they go down it rattles us he's saying you're not going to have anybody step in to help you think, think of it this way and this is not meant to frighten anybody I, I, I certainly hope it doesn't I was sitting at a table uh, I was supposed to speak at the end of a Homeland Security Conference and um, it's West Mich Michigan um, I've lost Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I was just, I'm not a, a security expert. They, they brought me on kind of just to talk about ethics and then a, a bit of humor. They thought I might be funny. I don't know why. So 
I'm sitting at the table where I don't belong. I keep hearing the one of these things is not like the others at the table because everybody there has security clearances and such. You know, and, and the guy beside me is a, a retired four-star Marine Corps general. And so I'm just trying not to, not to show my ignorance. Just be quiet. As my dad used to tell me, sit down, shut up. Everybody will think you're normal. So I'm just sitting down. And one of them asked them, they said, well, what are we working on with EMPs, electromagnetic pulse? And the Marine general said, um, we've got nothing. And I w I'm quiet. And one of them said, how high do you have to? And it all comes up to this. You get the right kind of bomb, you put it in a little Cessna, fly up to the right kind of height, let it off. Everything electronic's gone. Everything. And then one of them said, well, how quick could the army restore order? And the general said, it would take about two years. And you're going, what? what is that? In other words, no one's going to ride to the rescue to make sure you have water, to make sure you have your sewage is taken away. No, they're not going to ride in. Now, whether or not anything like that happens, people... I, I grew up that the Russians were coming any minute, so I, I, I don't want to live in paranoiaville. Just, just uh, be strong. That said, he's telling them no one's going to come. The sun and the moon are going down. When this happens, you're on your own. Now what happens to you? I can remember when Y2K came. We were living in West Virginia, and uh, a guy came and, at our house. He's a nice guy. And he was, he's really concerned about it. Those of you that don't remember Y2K, just remember that we always have something to be afraid of. It was Y2K at that time. Uh, you need something to, to be terrified, evidently. And he, we were showing him our house, and he said, where do you keep your food? And I said, the kitchen has worked well in times past. And he was saying, no, no, for Y2K, when everything goes down, don't you have food stored up? I went, no. He said, why not? I couldn't help it. I said, because I have firearms, and I know where you live. And that, that did not, that, that, he knew I was kidding, we, we moved on. His, ner his laugh was a bit more nervous, though. It was kind of, it was one of those, ha, ah, ha, 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 but it was still fun. I refuse to live my life in fear. You know, come on, people. But be aware, there are times in history where you get no help. And this is a sad thing. So understand this, because this, the reason I'm spending so much time on this, is this phrase this set of symbols is used a lot in the Old Testament. And every time it does, what happens? They're in captivity. It goes down. Jerusalem falls. That's what he's telling them. He says, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Is he talking about the end of time? Well, there's a big argument about that. I, I don't think he is. I think he's talking about his church will survive. They will gather. They will thrive. You will see that happening. As the old system dies, you will see a new system rise. I believe that's what he's saying. If you disagree with me, you, you might be right. Um, probably not. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Remember the fig tree? That was earlier. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, now watch, this is one of the reasons I don't think it's about the end of time. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, that to me closes that argument. This is about the fall of Jerusalem. And it was the end of the world to them. Think of this. For 1,500 years, their world was, we are the chosen people of God. We have the book. We have the priesthood. We have the temple most of the time. That's all gone. Your identity is gone. You have to reform, and, and they did. They reformed very well, commendably, frankly. But that's a shock. Your whole system is gone. A new system is on the rise. Then he shifts to another date. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. What day are we talking about? I think he has switched now to the end of the world. You can argue that this is still about the fall of Jerusalem and, and have a point. And I'm sorry, if you've come to the class today wanting absolute assurance, you need to understand there's some places in the Bible that's hard to do. It's just hard to do. And I'm not going to lie to you and say this is the only way you can look at this. Give you options. But of that day or hour, no one knows. Not even Jesus? No, just the Father. And I'm going to push this a, a, a step further. I don't think it's a day and a time the way we think of a day and a time. Will the world end? Let's just pick a number. You know, on December the 10th, 2050. Does God have a date like that in mind? I don't think so. If I'm reading it correctly, it is God knows. He'll know when it's time. Kind of like if you had a daughter. And she came up and she goes, I'd like to go out with this guy and you say you're too young to date you're only 23 <laughs> and she says well how old will I have to be you know when will I be ready to date and you say well I'll know when you're ready or to drive I'll know when you're ready is that a date no but you got the idea that's, in my opinion, that's what, I don't think there's a set date. I think there are some things we're supposed to be doing and supposed to be, and we're not doing them very well. And I think we need to get them done, like the gospel to all nations and renewing the earth and, and, and linking arms with God with this whole mercy and righteousness thing. But God knows when the time will be done. By the way, a couple things Jesus said after his resurrection indicate God may have told him because he seems to know a lot more about it then, which is kind of odd but kind of fun at the same time. We'll get to that. Be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servant in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, it becomes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. But I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Um, kind of like the parable of the foolish virgins, the wise and the foolish virgins. Some were ready, some were not. Now, I, I live with a lovely lady who has created a lovely house. Every time people come and see our house, they, they turn to her and say, this is lovely. They do not turn to me. They are aware at some 
prehistoric atavistic level that I could not be responsible for this. And, and they're correct. Um, now, sometimes my wife leaves. She goes on a journey. She is going to go see uh, our, our, our babies in Detroit, or she's going to go see her family in Texas. I know she's returning. Therefore, I'd better keep watch on this house. I also know I can do everything I can to keep it perfect, and when I, she walks in, there will still be things she feels need doing. I, I know that. That's all right. But I will even every day put the Jenga pillow puzzle back together on the bed just in case it's today that she comes in. If you, if you don't know this, the longer you're married, the more pillows. It's kind of a, I'm not sure how that, but it's, it's a science thing. Um, I know that there are certain things that I need to, to do. And she will ever, and the one I always forget, I always forget, she'll say, did you water my flowers? Yes. Last week, are they thirsty again? <laughs> and I'll go out there and there's these, this, this brown stuff. And I'm going, if I knew what it, if I'd paid attention and knew what it was, I could go buy a replacement. But I don't remember what it was. So there's no way. She comes back, when did we get mums? I'm going, okay, I'm blown. <laughs> you get the point. God says, be like that with God. Be ready. Now let me tell you what it doesn't mean. I don't remember how old I was. Most of my childhood's a fog. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was around 14 or 15. We went on a real vacation. We were in America, and we we're going on a real vacation, and I was like, wow, really? And we had tent, and we put it on the beach uh, on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Now, my dad, very, very firm that there's no mixed bathing, and that's not nearly as exciting as you think. It just means swimming. So none of that. So we had to find empty stretches. We found an empty stretch. We were doing fine. And then um, we are at a picnic area, and I don't remember all Here, just put it this way. Uh, a, a couple miles down the road is where there was going to be the picnic. That's what it was. And my dad sent my mom and sisters ahead in a car. And he said, Patrick and I will just walk the beach then. I was going, cool. That sounds cool. So we're walking the beach. Nobody's around. We're walking around. Come around the corner. Everybody's there. Everybody's there. Not a lot of clothes. People on the beach, right? This was new to me. And I knew I was not allowed to look. So, I put my, in fact, he even said, head down. My head went down. We're walking through very quietly. I, I would love to have a movie of this. I really would. It would be hilarious now. But we're just dead serious. Just put head down, quiet, walked all the way through. Went around the corner. We were alone again. And my dad said, well, I'm glad that Jesus didn't come back when we were right in the middle of that. I'm, I'm saying, wouldn't he have known it was an accident? You know, I'd, 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 oh no. I, you know, at the same time, I admire that he didn't want to be caught doing something he considered wrong. So watch. Be ready. When I was a boy, we were always ready for the end of the world, weren't you? Preachers talked about it all the time. I can remember being in a, in a, in a, uh, a church that had a, a tin aluminum roof. I think it was aluminum roof. I'm sure that looked good on the plans when they bought it. But then it rained. And we couldn't hear anything. I did a wedding at the factory last year. As soon as they walked up, there was no amplification. They thought of everything but the rain. 
and it started to rain, and nobody heard the wedding except me and a couple of people standing up front. That was it. And we, we thought about waiting it out. We couldn't wait it out. So it's raining in the sermon. And the preacher saying that the next crack of thunder, Jesus could come back. And we were all, because that's how we were all the time. He's any second now. In some ways, I miss that. Um, um, not because of the fear thing, but because it was a reminder to behave. You don't know. You just don't know. I'm kind of going on here, aren't I? Sorry, not two sermons in one day. Um, but just watch. Watch. Remember, let me, I'll, I'll push it one more. Remember Jesus said, watch and pray? Um, my son Duncan has helped me with this a lot. Because when he hears something through the Lance Corporal uh, Underground, he's out of the Marines now, but... Uh, his buddies are still in, and that's, there's, there's something called the Lance Corporal Underground, and he'll hear something, he'll text me. And one of the first things he'll say is, get your head on a swivel. In other words, watch. Keep your eyes open. And one time he put, pray with your eyes open. I thought, that's probably pretty smart in some circumstances. Pray with your eyes open. Have you ever wondered why we don't? I'll tell you. It's culture. It is controlling the children. Their hands were everywhere. Do that. Now put your head down. Don't look at anywhere. Close your eyes. It was a way to control the crowd. Because this is, this is not mentioned in Scripture. If you notice that. Um, just, just a thought. You, when I was a boy, I thought this was kind of, I'm, I'm serious, and I'm sorry that I was an idiot. I thought this was kind of like a microphone. And you had to do this. Then I saw somebody doing this, and I'm thinking, well, that won't work. The wiring's wrong on that one. Took me a while. I was probably not an easy child to raise. I'm kind of, I'm hesitant waiting to hear the amen from my parents. Um, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, only two days away. Now we got to get serious again, guys, because this is right up on the crucifixion. He has been leading up to this. Chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Can we just stop there for a minute? How far gone do you have to be to be a religious leader that thinks it's the only thing, your job is to kill a rival? But you're going to have to do it in secret. And we know, because we've looked at the other Gospels, that it was because if he succeeds, they lose their power. People will do anything for power, won't they? If you don't believe that, watch the news. People will do anything for power. It, it, this just boggles my mind. And there are people on the planet that can only rise up if they tear somebody else down. And that, there could be some of this in there too. Not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Well, he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. I love that line. Hey, let's go to the leper's house. Oh, but it's going to get more exciting. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. I, I have read so much about what nard is, and I'm still not sure. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, why would you put perfume on head? This is a sun-baked 
land. Jesus might have been bald. I know, I've seen the pictures, very well quaffed. The Bible in Isaiah 53 says he wasn't handsome. Um, there's a little girl that claims that she died and came back and that she saw Jesus. Have you seen those pictures? It looks like Kenny Loggins. And I'm just going, there's a whole book you can buy. Uh, people have given me the book. This is what Jesus looks like. And just go, thank you. Oh, my. It, and it's feathered. Um, even if he had hair, in a sun-baked climate, this hurts. And they would put ointment on the head. In fact, and again, not to try, this is not racist. People come from the Middle East, tend to have more here because they're used to needing it. It's, it's part of the, their daily necessity. So to put more in the hair. Well, they, um, she's doing this to comfort him. And it's expensive. Some of those who are present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? In um, some versions, some of the manuscripts actually has a dollar's figure there. They will say more than 300 denarii, which is more than a year, it goes on to say, which is more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. In some of the, one of the Gospels, this is said to be Judas. Peter seems to indicate Judas had other voices agreeing with him. This is a waste of money. I want to I tell on myself here um, about that. We have to be careful saying people are wasting money. Uh, I got very upset at one of our deacons. We had, I, I don't think we'd been back in America a year. And this one deacon always got sideways with me, and I, I'm, I'm going to take the blame for that. But he, uh, he had money, a lot of money, and he didn't, he didn't agree with me on some things, and so that meant my enemy, I guess. But he arrived in this, the, the brand new Mercedes. I don't know how much it cost back then. It would have today probably cost 150000 and I was appalled. I was, you know, how could you do this? And, and I didn't really rag him. I was more seething quietly that he knew. He could pick up on it. And he looked at me and he said, you know that car you drive? It was a Plymouth version of the Dodge Omni. I can't remember what they called it. Just a little thing. And I said, yeah. And he says, that's a pretty special car most places on the planet. I don't care if you're right. I don't like you. You know, that's, that's, that's really... That was my attitude. Uh, it was a bad attitude. I have come a, a long way there. But I still see people, and it'll say, yeah, they just spent $200 million on this yacht. And you're going, but that's not for us to judge. The fact is, in America, if I understand correctly, the number one health problem is overeating. We're doing pretty well. You know, I, and then, you know, think of all the stuff we've got. Some stuff doesn't even work. I have golf clubs that are in the, the garage uh, being punished because they did not perform as, as they should have. And when they learn their lesson, they can get back into rotation. You, you know what I'm talking about. We are the rich. And yet it is so easy for us to judge those one step above us. We've got to be careful. That's all I'm saying. Um, 
back when Tiger Woods was making all that money, I had some friends that were saying, well, why is that? And I'm going, you know, I don't begrudge him a penny. He does stuff which other people can't do. We pay for that. That's, I don't begrudge a penny. I don't begrudge a penny of Bill Gates' money. He earned it somehow. If you want to come up to me later and say he stole something, don't, don't, just don't. Somehow he had it. And he's given a lot away, frankly. Um, but be careful. If you're like me, it's easy to judge other people's wasting money. I can remember Cammy and I trying to get support to work in Scotland, walking into a church where they had these magnificent chandeliers everywhere. And that church said, you know, we just don't have any money. And I'm going, really? Could have sold a couple of those. But again, that's not for me to judge. Let God judge. We don't. That's, that's his job. Um, anybody want, want to add to that? I mean, I'm, I've been doing all the confessing here. Somebody wants to, you know, say I'm forgiven and let me go. All right, moving on then. Leave her alone, Jesus, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you'll not always have me. Now, back to atheist books. They leap on this one. You know, he didn't care about the poor whenever they... No, that's not what he's saying. Semitic people have a pattern of speaking. If we were to write this in our language, it would be more like, you've always had the poor around you and you haven't done anything for them. Don't act like you are now. Don't act like you're speaking in defense of the poor right now. Hmm. Kind of hurts. But it's right. Um, had a man give me a book. He spent all of his life working with the poor. Uh, when we were up in Rochester. He gave me a book and when he opened it, it signed it to me and then underneath it said, don't forget the poor. I was thinking, you know, if I don't turn another page, that's probably enough for me to do right here. They're always here. She did what she could. That's what I want on my tombstone. If I have a tombstone. Not she, but he. Remember that. He did what he could. One great, one brilliant. Some of it was quite a mess, but he did what he could. Don't you love that, though? Jesus wasn't saying, well, she didn't do this, she didn't do that. We don't know anything about the rest of her life. We just, she did what she could. I love that. That's just, the more you read stuff like this, the more you like Jesus. He's, he's just amazing. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. They don't understand this. He's saying, I'm going to die. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow, and we just did. Yeah, can't forget this. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Can we talk about Judas? Was Judas always a bad guy? I'm thinking probably not, or Jesus wouldn't have picked him. Why did Jesus turn, or Judas turn on Jesus? There are those that feel sorry for Judas because they say Jesus picked him knowing he would turn, therefore it's really Jesus' fault. Or without Judas, there wouldn't have been a cross. Without the cross, there wouldn't be the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there wouldn't be salvation. So Judas was forced into doing this 
so the rest of us could be saved, and how fair is that? Have you heard these? If you, if you work with a lot of people, you'll get all this. So what are we going to do with Judas? There are those who believe he did this because he was disappointed in the way Jesus turned out. There's a, there's a truism in the preacher field, which I help with the new, new preachers whenever they go into places. We talk about it. And it's hard to explain the whys of this, but I always say, when you walk into a place, you will have cheerleaders. Your best cheerleaders, watch out. They will also be the first to turn on you. And the reason is, and that's not, you know, your, your guys are bad, it's just people have expectations for you. And if you fail to hit those, the higher they put you, the farther you're going to fall. So be careful how much you listen to the cheerleaders. Judas might have been, this isn't turning out the way I wanted it to. There are other theories that J Judas was handing him over to force him to bring down the angels and overthrow, you know, have a military overthrow of Rome. He was trying to force Jesus' hand. Others, that he was disappointed in him. Others say it was, it was just about the money, but that's kind of, that doesn't seem to be enough of a motive for me, but maybe, maybe you know, people get shot for their shoes. You guys have any thoughts? Yeah, yes. Judas, yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly, that's really where I am. Um, she's saying Judas followed Jesus with an expectation. When that expectation didn't happen, then Judas turned. Whether he turned to force him or whether he turned out of just, I give up. I don't, I don't know. Yes. Okay. He says sent down to the, the ultimate is deceit. Think about this. One of the arguments that the followers of Jesus often had was, who gets to sit where in the kingdom? Who gets to be where on the dais? When they find out there's no dais, and they find out there's no parade, that, that would be a real gut punch, wouldn't it? Most of them handled it poorly. They ran, if you remember. Uh, and yet... And one of them didn't run, it seems. None of them really handled it well. I don't think I would have handled it well. But they were, the chief priests were delighted because now they've got an insider. Once again, as I said, cities don't normally fall until they're disunited. And now we've got an insider ready to turn. Got a little bit of time here. Yes, oh, thank you. Ooh, I love that. I, I've never heard that. An expectation is a premeditated resentment. Got to write that down. Wow. He says, well, Judas, he says, if, I'm, if I have to do the devil's work, I have to expect his wages. Wow. I often say there's only one difference between Judas and Peter. Because Peter also denied Jesus. Peter also was in a position to stand up for him and did not. The difference is, Peter repented, Judas quit. 
God will always take you back if you repent. When you quit, that kind of cuts off that, that option. Any others? You guys are good. I want to do this again. Hang on. What's a, a premeditated resentment? An expectation, premeditated. All right. Thank you. Over here? Yeah. Oh, in the back. Yes. That's a good, yeah, that is. Yes. I, I, I wish you'd been up here teaching the class. That was actually brilliant. Um, I hope most of you are able to hear what she was saying. But the idea that he... Didn't, didn't understand who Jesus was, I think that can be proven by his suicide. Because if he knew who Jesus was, he would have known Jesus would forgive him. But he didn't grasp who Jesus was. He, uh, and I agree with you that, that very often we don't. Um, we can lose that thread. At least I can. And I, I live in the Gospels, and I, I can lose it. Um, it's very good. We'll set this up. We're not going to do the whole story. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asked, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? They'll show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. They went into the city, found things just as Jesus told them, so they prepared the Passover. Now, Calvinists tell us that this is an, uh, uh, one of the many illustrations where God knows everything that's going to happen before it happens, and so he's just telling them what's going to happen. There's another way to, to do this. There's another way to look at it. And that is that Jesus had already formed relationships with many people. And he knew where the water cellar was. Um, a man carrying water was unusual. It would have meant it was his business. Women carried water. Sorry, ladies, I did not create history. I'm merely reporting. Women did that hard work. Men were busy. Um, I'm not sure with what. But when you see a man carrying water, he must be one of the water cellars. Jesus could very well have had a relationship with him and with the, the guy that had the young donkey, the young colt. 
So he knew, go in there, you'll find these people. Remember when Jesus told the apostles, drop your nets, come with me, and they did, they had lived with him. They knew him. This was not new. They had been prepared. As we said, I think last week, prepared the ground. He had prepared the ground ahead of time. He'd gotten ready ahead of time for this. But do I have a problem if somebody goes, no, God just knew. No, I, I don't. But I think the more likely is Jesus has been in and out of here every day this week. He's been preaching and teaching every day this week. He knows these people. They know him. When evening came, oh, so they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived at the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. By the way, I love this about the apostles. Because in some rooms, we would have said, him? <laughs> yeah, the point is, oh, you know, I've always been a little, John's always been a little, and we would do that, right? I love the fact that they all understood it could have been them. That's, that's humility right there. That is sweet humility, and that touches me. He said, it is one of the 12. Now, why would he say that? Because there are more than that in the room. There are other people there. They didn't get in the painting with Leonardo da Vinci, but they're there. I often wonder, before the painting, did he say, everybody that wants to be in the painting, this side of the table. It's awkward, people. It's one of the 12, one who dips bread in a bowl with me. And that's, see, that's a shocker. You're never, ever, ever allowed to betray somebody you eat with in the first century. Ever. It is the worst social thing you could ever do. So he's really, they're, they're announcing this to the readers of the first century, how awful this is. The Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. Can I, can I mess with your head right before we leave? All those people that say, poor Judas, created and forced into this situation so that Jesus would die, be resurrected, and save us. I believe that had Judas remained faithful to Jesus, the Romans or somebody else would have still gotten him and put him on the cross. I don't think Judas was the only road to the cross. Don't let people use that argument. It paints, Jesus, paints God as forcing a poor human being to be evil. No, no. He knew it was going to happen. Judas offered to be the road. That was, think about that one, and come back with your best arguments next week. But for right now, just go away. <laughs>